Hey everyone, welcome to a Millennial Learns. Thank you so much for joining me this week. This is our Bible episode. So we are going over 2 Kings 10 to 1 Chronicles 8. And I have to say, we're basically going through the rest of 2 Kings because 1 Chronicles is all like genealogies and uh, lists of kings and listing out every single member of every clan of the tribe of Israel. So my notes on that are like two sentences where it says genealogy of like everyone from Noah to, you know, to this person, genealogy of um, this clan of Judah, uh, you know, list of kings. So it's like really, that's going to take like two minutes to cover. Um, so we're essentially going over the last part of kings. And then for other Bible episodes, like I realize this might be a problem sometimes because there are a lot of chunks of like genealogy in places. So I realized like if an entire week's reading is something like that, like a genealogy, I'm just going to talk about some topic that pertains to the Bible and we'll just go from there. Like it'll be like a relaxed week where I'll kind of cover the reading, but then I'll probably just talk about some sort of biblical thing that's been on my mind. So um, that luckily we have like the whole second half of Second Kings to cover so it should be a very meaty episode still um but yes first chronicles was lots of names and lots of places <laughs> so um before also before we jump into like the actual bible chapters i wanted to talk a little bit about the pope uh francis decision about latin masses that i talked a little bit about last week and i was gonna just research it and cover it as the first part of this week's bible episode however as i started researching this i um i realized that there is so much history involved in this decision the implications are pretty wide reaching and so i think what i'm going to end up actually doing is doing this as a full podcast episode and that one's going to be out on monday because like i was looking at what the decision was which if you're not aware um, Pope Francis came out with a document that essentially limited the use of Latin masses, like bishops have to approve new Latin masses, and it makes it, it, it adds more restrictions on using this Latin mass. And my whole entire Instagram, it felt like, just blew up at this decision because, uh, well, I didn't really realize how many people went to a Latin mass, and I think even the people who don't usually go to a Latin mass are like, very upset that the Latin mass, which is the original mass, is being limited or restricted in any way. Um, so I was reading about this and my opinion on it beforehand was like, why would you want to do that? Why would you restrict mass? Some people really, really like the Latin mass. And I think I'm still there kind of with that opinion. But I was reading art, all these articles saying that uh, he's trying to encourage unity because a lot of these parishes are split in half between Latin and non and like vernacular mass Catholics. There's like some getting to be some like pretty deep divides within Catholic churches of Latin versus uh, like vernacular or like the English version of masses. And so there's a lot, there's been a lot of division is Pope Francis's concern. And so these restrictions on the Latin mass are meant to create more unity, which I don't know if that was accomplished because it seems like everyone is up in arms and 
I don't know if it created any more unity or if it will. Um, but then like also as I was reading, you know, so I, I'm seeing all these different viewpoints about it. And then also I'm seeing all this history. So like Pope Benedict um, had loosened these restrictions in, I think it was 2007. And there's also this thing called Vatican II, which was like a whole set of rules about masses in general. All these like this new council released all these new rules um, at one point called Vatican II. And so there was just a lot of history that I wanted to be able to take the time to go fully dive into. So because I think it pertains to this decision and having a full view of this decision. So instead of just talking about it here, like in a shortened, condensed version before a Bible podcast. I'm just going to make it its own episode. So watch out for Monday. Um, especially if you're Catholic, it'll probably be an interesting episode to you uh, because I will be talking about Pope Francis' decision and the implications and what my thoughts on it are. Um, okay, so let's get into Second Kings 10. I'm going to give a little recap about where we are. Um, so the last episode, the last episode, I always say episode on accident when I'm talking about the Bible. Um, but the last chapter of second Kings that we've read, which was second Kings nine, uh, Elisha had called a prophet to anoint Jehu, who was the son of Jehoshaphat. Uh, and Jehoshaphat was the King of Israel. So the King of Israel's son, um, Elisha called a prophet to anoint him as King. Now, Jehu is to be used as what this website says, a tool of judgment. I looked up this Bible commentary. Uh, it said the Lord intends to use Jehu as a tool of judgment against the house of Ahab because Ahab's house was very evil. They did a lot of very, very bad things. And so there's going to be judgment coming down on Ahab's family because there was a prophecy. And Jehu is going to be the one that delivers that judgment. So Jehu approaches Jezreel, which is a... A city in Israel and Joram the current king of Israel who is the son-in-law of Ahab um, he is recovering from like an illness and Jehu goes and kills Joram and then Jehu also kills Ahaziah of Judah and Ahaziah is very wicked um, and this is also where Jezebel died and Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, which it was very, it was like kind of a victorious moment when Jezebel died in the last, um, podcast episode because she did so much, so, so many bad things. Like she, uh, stole Naboth's vineyard and got him killed. Like she was just a terrible woman. And so she died, Ahab died, Joram died and, uh, Ahaziah died. Ahaziah was the king of Judah. So, um, that's where we left off last week, getting into 2 Kings 10, which is this week's uh, episode. Ugh, oh my gosh, this week's section. Um, okay, so in Samaria, there were 70 sons of Ahab living there. And Jehu wrote letters and uh, to people in Samaria and says, choose the best son and set him on his father's throne and then fight for your master's house. Um, they were very, very scared of these sons of, um, of Ahab. They were just scared in general. And they said, yeah, we'll appoint a king. Uh, or they said, we will not appoint a king, but 
basically we'll do whatever else you say. So Jay said, okay, fine, bring me their heads. You have to slaughter all of Ahab's sons. And so they do that. And the men slaughtered all the sons and brought um, those, their heads to Jehu. Uh, then Jehu goes to Samaria and kills the rest of Ahab's family. Uh, he then goes towards, uh, did I say Samaria? Okay, well, on the way to Samaria, before he kills the rest of Ahab's family, he runs into Ahaziah's relatives and kills 42 of them. So there's a lot of judgment, a lot of death happening in this first chapter. Um, then Jehu gathers all the worshipers of Baal, everyone who has ever worshipped Baal, and said, get everyone here. Do not miss anyone, even if they're sitting on the toilet. You, like, you better come here. Um, you, yeah, you, every single person who has worshipped Baal has to gather in one place. So he then kills all of them, every single worshiper of Baal. That fulfills another prophecy. Um, and then it said that he like did some good and some bad. He was kind of a mix and he stopped worshiping Baal. I said Baal, but it's, I think it's pronounced Baal. He stopped worshiping Baal with, you know, like he made Israel stop worshiping Baal, but he did not turn away from the worship of the golden calves, which is still a problem. I'm not exactly sure why he would stop doing one without the other, but, um, that's what happened. And then God began reducing the size of Israel Hazael, Hazael overpowered the Israelites throughout the territory. So their, their territory is decreasing, uh, in size. Okay. Second Kings 11, Ahaziah's mother saw that her son was dead, um, and killed all the heirs of Ahaziah and reigns herself. So she like destroys the entire royal family and puts herself on the throne. Uh, because of this, like as she was going on this rampage, killing all of the heirs, Ahaziah's sister took Joash, who's Ahaziah's son, and hid him from all of the royal princes and all the royal family so he wouldn't get killed. Um, Athaliah, who is the mother of Ahaziah, ruled the land for six years. Joash was then anointed king. Like Then um, Ahaziah's sister took Joash out and showed him uh, to everyone. He was six years old and he was anointed king by Je Jeho Jehoiada. <laughs> Jehoda. Okay. Oh my gosh. There's so many complicated J names in this section. Um, Athalia then heard this and called it treason. Uh, and then the person who anointed Joash king ordered for Athalia to be captured and put to death, which she was, she was killed. Um, and Joe Jeho Jehoda, I'm just going to say Jehoda, even though that's probably wrong. Jehoda is the high priest. Um, so, or the, the priest, he is like the head honcho of the priest. He's the one that anoints the king and orders Athalia to be captured and put to death. So that same guy, Jehoda made a, a covenant between God, the king and the people smashed the altar of Baal and put the priest of Baal to death. So Joash ended up starting his reign, it says, when he was seven years old, which is still so crazy to me that they made kings, like, they, they anointed people as king that young. Because, like, what is he going to do? Order a war? Like, he's seven. 
Um, so he must have had a lot of advisors. But okay, Second Kings 12, Joash reigned for 40 years and he did what was right, although the high places were not removed. So this is a common theme where people... Uh, they say they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but then the high places were not removed, and so the golden calves continued. Um, and people continued to sacrifice to the golden calves. Um, he took money and tried to repair the temple, but it just wasn't being done. And so he summoned uh, the priest, Jehoda, and said, why aren't you repairing it? Um, so basically like all this to say, he ended up putting out like an offering chest to pay the workers at the temple. He put this whole system together about how to repair the temple and ask why, uh, they're not doing it and set up the system for paying the laborers and things like that. So then Aram was about to attack Jerusalem, but then Joash took all the sacred objects in the temple and gave them to Hazael, the king of Aram, and they then withdrew. Um, then officials assassinated Joash, like turned on him and assassinated him and his son Amaziah succeeded him. So, uh, then we kind of go over to the other side, the king of Israel. <clears throat> While Joash was king of Judah, Jehoaz, Jehoa, wait, Jehoahaz. Jeho yeah, um, the, he, basically Jehu's son became king of Israel. Um, it said God's anger burned and kept Israel under the power of Hazael for a long time because they kept doing so much evil. Uh, but then Jehoahaz <laughs> sought, sought the Lord's favor and God listened and he provided a deliverer for Israel. Um, so they get, were delivered from this rule of Hazael, but, and they got delivered, they got free, they ended up living in their own homes again, but they still didn't turn away from their sins, even after God rescued them. So again, the Israelites were being pretty stubborn at times. Um, Jehoash then became king of Israel. He did e evil, and then Jeroboam succeeded him. There are a lot of like quick succession kings in this section and in the previous section. So sometimes it's just like, okay, he died after a few days and then this new king came on. So um, we're already to Jeroboam is now a new king of Israel. Elisha fell ill and Jehoash, the king of Israel, went to, uh, went to weep over him. Elisha prophesied that he would completely destroy the Arameans. Um... And there was this whole like kind of scene where as Elisha was prophesying, he said like, shoot the arrow out that window or something. And the direction that he shot it in said like, okay, you're going to um, attack them to the West because the arrow went to the West or something. And then the part that I really <clears throat> kind of took, well, that, that was interesting to me, I guess, is that um, when Jehoash went to Elisha and said like, he said, okay, hit he had an arrow in his hand. He said, hit the arrow on the ground. Um, and the king hit the ground three times. And Elisha said, oh, you should have hit, hit the arrow like five or six times. If you had hit it five or six times, you would have completely destroyed the Aramaeans. But since you only hit it three times, you won't completely destroy them. So I was, um, I guess, a little confused by that. But it ends up being true. So he was just prophesying what was going to happen. And then Elisha died. 
men, um, okay, so then raiders, they were burying Elisha in this tomb, or they were, you know, kind of in the process of burying him, and these raiders hurried, like, came into the, um, into the city, and as the raiders came in into the city and these men who were burying Elisha or they were preparing the tomb, they were going to bury him, I think, in another tomb, like a common tomb. And they were scared, so they threw Elisha into... Oh, wait, no. Okay, sorry. I got this a little bit wrong in my notes. Um, okay, so there were raiders that came to the city. Elisha was buried, but they were going to... Um, bury another man like a man had died and they were going to prepare uh, a tomb for him but since they were so scared and shocked and hurried by the fact that raiders were coming into their city they just threw the man into Elisha's tomb like because they were so frantic and the man immediately came back to life because he was in Elisha's tomb so we have a coming back to life miracle and then Ben-Hadad succeeded Hazael as king of Aram Jehoash defeated the Aramaeans three times, just like Elijah had predicted. Now, again, the Aramaeans weren't completely defeated. It was, um, but they pushed him back three times. So it was a good, a good beating. <laughs> um, okay, 2 Kings 14, during Jehoash's reign over Israel, Amaziah began to reign in Israel and he did very good. But high places still were not removed. Again, this is a trend where it's like, yep, he did good in the eyes of the Lord, but he didn't remove the high places. So, um, let's see. Amaziah executed the officials who had killed his father. His father had been the king. He challenged Jehoash to battle because he had victory over the Edomites. So, this <laughs> the story was that Jehoash, um, or no, sorry, um, that Amaziah, so um, king of Israel, he went to battle with the Edomites, who were not very skilled. Like, it was an easy win. But he got so kind of like, his ego got so blown up that he then challenged Jehoash, who is the king of Judah, to battle because he was so overconfident. And, you know, Jehoash even tried to warn him. He said, like, you shouldn't do this because you, you won against the Edomites, who aren't even that good. Like, calm yourself down, basically. Um, but they battled anyway. Judah ended up losing. Jehoash was captured. The Jerusalem wall was broken down and gold and silver were taken. And there were many, many hostages taken. So yeah, he was not prepared for this fight. And then this is when Jeroboam II succeeded Jehoash. So as you can tell, like the stories run in parallel, but it focuses on like one at a time. So it'll say a whole ch kind of chain of Israel's kings and then it'll go back and, and say a whole string of, uh, Judah's or yeah. Yeah. So it'll like have the stories in parallel and then, uh, go back and forth. So now this side is just catching up and saying Jeroboam is now King. Um, 15 years after, uh, Jehoash's death, Amaziah was killed. Um, the people of Judah took Azariah and made him King. And he was the son of Amaziah who was the previous king. Jeroboam II was king of Israel. He did evil. He restored the boundaries. Well, so he did evil, but then he also restored the boundaries of the promised land. Um, and it said Israel was suffering, but God was extremely faithful. He eventually died and then Zechariah succeeded him. So 
a lot happened there. There was a string of like a few different kings, but um, you know, Israel had begun to shrunk, and then I think at least part of the promised land had been restored. The boundaries had been restored. Second Kings 15, Azariah began to reign. He was the king of Israel. And he did what was right again, but again, the high places were not removed. So the Lord then afflicted the king with leprosy. So he had to live in a whole separate house and his son Jotham was in charge of the palace and governing until Azariah died and then Jotham was king. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. So Azariah was king, but had leprosy, lived in a separate house, couldn't govern, couldn't like run the palace or anything. And so he was technically king, but really like Jotham, I think was making the call for almost everything, the entire reign of Azariah. And just a side note, um, I keep hearing babies named Azariah now, like a few, I've seen a few babies named Azariah. And it's really funny because like, I think there's another Azariah somewhere in the Bible. And I think it's like a really good story, but it is interesting when there's like two different stories with the same person. Like, like this Azariah just had leprosy his whole life. And then you're naming your kid Azariah. And it's like, this is the first instance that an Azariah is mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> and so you're reading, it's like, did you name me after this leprosy guy? <laughs> you know? And then like, I've seen people named Saul and I think there was, I mean, the first Saul was kind of okay for a bit, but then he tried to kill David. And then, um, the other Saul that I know of in the Bible killed every Christian that he, like saw and he tried to persecute all these Christians and then he eventually became Paul. So that makes sense. But like it would, I, I thought it would make more sense to name your kid, um, Paul. Again, I know like names mean different things in different cultures. So maybe Saul means something really good in some other culture. But it, if you're just reading the Bible and like looking at names, there's definitely some names you, I would think you would want to stay away from. And, um, so just naming kids is just quite the the feat because like you have to realize like who you're naming it after, what stories follow them, if there's any bad nicknames. So <laughs> I'm just thinking about like the weight of naming someone. And then if you name someone and then realize like, oh, this guy just had leprosy his whole life, you know, and I named my kid this, um, that would be, <laughs> that would be tough. Uh, okay. So after Jotham was king, um, let's see, it says Zechariah only reigned six months. He did evil. Shalom, the son of Jabesh conspired and killed him and succeeded as king. So I, I believe this is in the, uh, let's see, Azariah, Lord afflicted king with leprosy. Okay. And Jotham, yeah, was king. Um, wait, let me look up if Zechariah or Zechariah was a king of, um, okay. So Zechariah was the king right after, um, Jeroboam the second. So he only reigned six months. He did a lot of evil. Shalom, the son of Jabesh conspired and killed him and succeeded him as king. Shalom only reigned one month. Then he got assassinated by Menahem, who succeeded him. This is like the string of, you know, kings of Israel who just all killed each other. And it was kind of crazy. So he reigned one month and then got assassinated. Attached, 
Okay, so then uh, Menahem, who just became king, he attacked this uh, city called Tifsha, Tifsa, and it said it ripped open all the pregnant women. He, like, killed everyone and ripped open all the pregnant women, which is very gruesome. Um, but then the king of Assyria invaded, and Menahem basically paid him off and gave him a thousand talents of silver to gain his support. Uh, Pekahiah, who was uh, Menahem's son, then succeeded him. He also did evil, and he only reigned two years when another man named Pekka um, conspired against him and killed him and became king. Lots of killing here. Um, Pekka then reigned 20 years. He did a lot of evil. And um, Assyria came and took a bunch of their land. Hoshea, son of Elah, conspired and killed Pekka after that 20 years. Um, during Pekka's reign, Jotham became king and he did right in the eyes of the Lord. So that is on, let's see, Jotham is the king of Israel, or sorry, Jotham is the king of Judah. So during Pekka's reign, Jotham became king of Judah and he did right in the eyes of the Lord. And I wrote in my notes, no one is removing the high places. Like why won't anyone remove the high places? Because he did right, but he will not remove the high places. And then Ahaz, son of, um, Ahaz, Ahaz was the son of, um, Jotham. So he succeeded him as king. Also, another note is that this diagram that I have, that I keep referring to, it says like, it, it highlights everything in red if the king did bad. And it highlights everything in green if the king did good. And then if they were kind of a mix, it does yellow. But if you look at the king of Israel list, it's all red. Except for Jehu, who did a mix of good. Because he, like, um, he restored Israel's boundaries and stuff. But uh, it's all red, except for Jehu. There's, like, 20, over 20 kings, I think, that all just did bad as king of Israel. And then Judah is kind of like a solid mix of some good and some bad, but a lot of red still. It's a lot of doing evil. Um, okay. So second Kings 16, Ahaz did not do what was right. He is the king of Judah. Um, he was terrible. He sacrificed his son in the fire. He offered sacrifices everywhere. Um, the king of Aram and king of Israel marched to fight Jerusalem and besieged Ahaz, but could not overpower him. Ahaz sent a message to Assyria with gold in the temple of God and asked to save him. So he like, he gathered up a lot of the items of gold in the temple and sent it to Assyria. Assyria attacked and put, um, resin to death. And I believe resin I don't think it might must be reason or something resin um he was the king of Aram and put him to death and then they made a fake like altar like a replica altar to other gods which was very evil so this bunch is doing bad in the sight of god okay second king 17 Assyria attacked Hoshea the king of Israel Assyria captured Samaria, which happened because of the sins the Israelites committed. 
and God gave the entire population over to plunderers and thrust them from his presence because they were doing so much evil. Like, um, I think this last king just really, like, with the sacrificing to his son and the worshiping, I think he really encouraged these sins. And so um, God was like, okay, enough. You're away from my presence. So they got taken over by plunderers and the land was resettled by foreigners, attacked by lions. And they said, like, we don't know. The foreigners were the ones that got attacked by lions. And they said, we don't know what the God there requires. Like, we need to appease the God there because we're being attacked by lions. And so the God obviously wants something different. But each group all still made their own gods. They, like, half served the Lord, but they half served other gods. Because they were trying to, like, appease God, not actually worship him like he wanted. Okay, Second Kings 18, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, became the king of Judah. He did what was right and finally removed the high places. So he removed the golden calves. Finally. I've been waiting for this moment. Um, he then rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Assyria laid siege to Judah and Hezekiah paid him off with the gold in the temple. So he like shaved off the gold lining of the doorposts and he took a lot of gold out of the temple to pay Assyria. King of Assyria says, where do you get this confidence from Egypt or God? Make a bargain with me. And he told everyone that Hezekiah could not deliver them. So they were under siege and he gave um, the king of Assyria money, but then said like Hezekiah would deliver them. Hezekiah was telling all the people that he would deliver them from the Assyrians. And so the king of Assyria started talking some crap and said, um, is this from Egypt? Because Egypt's not going to help you and your God's not going to help you. Hezekiah can't deliver you. So we got back to Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19 that, uh, you know, someone told him what the king of Assyria said, that Hezekiah wouldn't be able to deliver his people. So he tore his clothes. He was wearing the sackcloth, all of the things about grieving he did. Um, but there was a word from God that said, do not be afraid of what you had heard. God will make him want to return to a home, to his home country, and God will have him cut down by the sword. So God basically assured um, Hezekiah that he would deliver his people and that he would beat the Assyrians. The king of Assyria then heard a report that the king of Cush was coming to fight against him, which was prophesied, like he would hear a report and, and not want to fight him anymore. And so they all left to go fight this other battle. And Hezekiah went back to the temple to pray and said, show them that you are the one true God. Show the people that you are the one true God because you just delivered us. Isaiah came back with a word from the Lord that he will defend and save the city. And then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 people in the Assyrian camp. Okay, so then um, the king of Assyria's sons actually killed him while he was in the temple. And one of his sons, Esarhaddon, I don't know how to say that, uh, succeeded him as king of Assyria. All right, 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah became ill and was going to die. And God said to put his house in order. Hezekiah wept and prayed to God and said, remember how I was faithful to you. I've been faithful to you. And so God saw that prayer and said he would heal him. He would have him recover from this illness and add 15 years to his life. The sign that this was true was that um, a shadow would move back 10 steps from where it had come um, because of the sun. So this is like another sun moving miracle sort of thing. 
Um, then Hezekiah, there were envoys from Babylon, and he showed everything in the palace, all the treasures, everything in the palace to the Babylonians. And Isaiah, the prophet, said that there will come a day when all of these, or when all of that treasure, all of the, the plunder, basically, will be taken to Babylon and carried off. Second Kings 21, Manasseh becomes king of Judah when, um, and he did evil. He rebuilt, oh yeah, he was actually terrible. He rebuilt all the high places that Hezekiah had destroyed. He rebuilt altars to Baal and he made the Asherah poles, um, which they talk about a lot, these Asherah poles. And I'm looking it up. It says an Asherah. Let me see how to pronounce this too, but an Asherah or Asherah pole is a sacred tree or pole that stood near Canaanite religious locations to honor the mother goddess. Oh, it's a specific goddess worship. Okay, so it's just another fake god. Um, okay, where was I? So yes, so he put up these poles. He sacrificed his son to fire also. He played with divination, omens, mediums, and spiritus. So again, it says like, you know, how bad all of that stuff is. It makes it very, very clear that you should not be going to mediums as a Christian or trying to connect to the dead or anything like that. Also, I saw um, some people like critical of how Christians don't follow some um, rules of the Old Testament. Like they say, hey, if you're a Christian and you think that game like homosexuality is wrong, let's say, well, then um, you should look at your own sin because you're not supposed to mix fabrics or go to mediums. And it's like, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that you shouldn't be going to mediums you know, or, or like trying to connect to the dead or going to spiritists or whatever. So I think some non-Christians are very confused because a lot of Christians don't follow like these rules that still apply today. Like they're, they go to mediums and say they're a Christian and it shows people who aren't Christians like, oh, they think that's fine. You know, so um, I think it's still think it's very, very bad to go to mediums or try to channel people or do things like that. Um, okay, back to the actual Bible episode. Um, God will wipe out Jerusalem. There's a word from God that he's going to wipe out Jerusalem because of all the evil that has been happening. Amon became the king of Judah and followed the ways of his father, which was very, very bad. Second Kings 22, Josiah reigned and did what David did. We have a breath of fresh air. He like really followed what the Lord said he paid for repairs to the temple of the Lord, which hadn't, I don't think, been used in a long time because the, his successors had done so much evil. And the high priest found the book of the law in the temple. So Josiah, because he is clinging to the word of the, the Lord and knows that all this bad stuff is going to happen to Israel because of how much sin Israel has committed against him, wants to recommit to this covenant. And so he um, goes and brings everyone together and he, oh, this is in the next uh, chapter. So right now he wants to read the book of the law. He sends um, for this female prophet 
and named Holda, and she says, the Lord is going to bring disaster on this place. Judah has forsaken me because you, your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself. I will spare you from the disaster that I'm going to bring and I'll let you die in peace. So that's what God is saying to Josiah. So then Josiah calls all the people together. He reads the whole book of the covenant and he renews the covenant with all of the people and they all make a promise to follow the Lord. So they destroyed all the false gods and he commanded everyone to celebrate Passover and he got rid of all the mediums and spiritists. Um, Egypt then went up to help the king of Assyria and so Josiah marched out to battle them and got killed. So like God promised, he died not having to see all the destruction that Israel would go through, he died in this battle. Jeho Jehoahaz became king and he did evil. Um, the Pharaoh of Egypt then came and captured him at this one city. Um, and he made, the Pharaoh made Eli Eliakim, <laughs> Eliakim, uh, the son, oh, he made Eliakim, uh, the king, who was the son of Josiah. Um, but he made him change his name to Jehoiakim. Ugh. These names are impossible. <laughs> um, and then Jehoahaz uh, was carried off to Egypt where he died. So the Pharaoh then inflicted like all these, ta not taxes, but like these uh, penalties, I guess, on um, the Israelites. And so the king of Israel had to tax the land very heavily in order to pay Pharaoh and appease him. 2 Kings 24, um, during his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, um, and Jehoiakim's became basically the servant of Nebuchadnezzar and then rebelled against him. So then the Lord sent the Babylonian, Armenian, or Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him to destroy Judah. Jehoiachin became the king of Judah and did a lot of evil evil like they're not the israelites at least the most of the kings are not getting the idea that this is all like bad stuff is going to happen because they're disobeying god so much like he's given them so many chances there's been like 30 kings and almost none of them do right um okay nebuchadnezzar then laid siege to jerusalem he took uh jehochin as prisoner and carried all of jerusalem into exile which is bad but also fulfills the prophecy that judah and israel are both going to be you know thrust from the lord's sight because they've disobeyed so much and then mataniah who is the uh who he, he was jehochin's uncle was made king and changed his name to zedekiah and then it said zedekiah rebelled against the king of babylon okay this is the last chapter, 2 Kings 25. Nebuchadnezzar marched against Israel again and laid siege, for, uh, laid siege to it for two years. There was a severe famine that happened. Um, so people, like, it got so desperate that they broke through the city wall and tried to flee, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him, and the king was captured. Um, they killed the king's sons while he had to watch. And then Nebuchadnezzar set fire to the temple of the Lord. They broke and took everything. And all of Judah was brought into captivity away from Israel. So now everyone's in exile. Everyone's in captivity. 
And that's where Second Kings leaves off. So these two books were kind of tiring to read, honestly. There was a lot that happened that I liked, but like especially the end, it was just a string of mostly people that did evil, that worshiped other gods, even when God has told them a million times to not worship other gods. They do it anyway. And then everyone got destroyed. Every king was like killing other kings and they set up these worship poles and worship altars. And it was, it's just a rough time for Israel at this point in history. It's not good. So they're all in exile. And this is where second chronic or where first chronicles comes in. And it basically just does a break for like all this history. So, um, let's see. Uh, so First Chronicles intro says that many Judeans re are returning to Israel from their exile, but they're facing great difficulties. So it starts with a long genealogy and then the history of the kings. And they say this intro says that the theme of this book are these two books, First and Second Chronicles, which is essentially one big book. Um, it says that the theme is that pure worship is on God's terms and not ours. So that's something to uh, keep in mind as we start going through uh the book of Chronicles or books of Chronicles. Um, but the first eight are kind of, they don't really have that uh, theme yet because first Chronicles is just the genealogy from like, you know, from the very, very beginning. Uh, first Chronicles three is the list of Kings and the Royal line after the exile. First Chronicles four is listing clans of Judah. Five is the family lines of Reuben and the half tribe of Manasseh. Um, First Chronicles 6 is Levi. It goes through temple musicians. And then First Chronicles 7 goes over um, other tribes, Issachar, Benjamin, Naphtali, Manasseh, and Asher. Those clans, it lists all of those. And then First Chronicles 8 is the genealogy of Saul, the Benjamite. So it's pretty much all genealogies in this first eight chapters. So um, we'll I'll read next week's and go over that. But I think it'll get into the point of, of this worship is on God's terms, not ours uh, theme. But that is the Bible episode for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I know it's a lot of just kings killing each other and it gets very confusing. So I hope it wasn't too boring um, because sometimes I like get lost in who's on what side and all of their names start with J's and end with like Isakiah or Akaya, you know, they all end with the same letters and start with a J. And so it gets very complicated, but I hope you enjoyed. I hope you're reading along. Let me know if you are. DM me. I changed my um, Instagram. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I changed my Instagram from just a millennial learns, which was very podcast specific to just Abby Rancor with no space. Um, just so that I can like be more flexible with my Instagram and not only post podcast stuff, but I do post every time, uh, an episode goes live. So, um, look out for that and go DM me. If you're reading along what your favorite parts are, what you would like to hear more of all of that stuff. Again, thank you for joining me. Um, and I will see you on Monday for our talk about Pope Francis and his Latin mass decision. So have a great weekend and I will talk to you then. Bye everyone.